Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast brought to you by discipleship.org. My name is Dave Stovall and in today's track session, which features renew.org, Paul Hugobard and Shadonke Johnson share what a true disciple making movement actually looks like. Paul's a lead minister at Grace Chapel Church of Christ in Cumming, Georgia, and Shadonke is a part of New Generations where he trains up disciple making movement leaders and sends them out. Paul's about to set the stage for what the priorities have to be for the American church in order to shift into a disciple-making movement here. And Shidanke shares the incredible movements that are happening overseas and gives practical advice to us for the practices of the church to move toward a genuine culture shift. This is a great episode. You're going to get a lot out of this. So let's go ahead and jump in and hear from Paul and Shidanke. Hey, my name is Jason, and I'm with Renew.org, and we are sponsoring this breakout session. So welcome to everybody here bright and early. Welcome to those online. Um, I just want to introduce Renew briefly, and then I'll introduce our speakers. Uh, at Renew.org, we are a network of disciple-making practitioners who champion all the teachings of the Bible to fuel disciple-making. Um, we like to say we not only like winning disciples, but we like uh, to produce resources that provide clarity around exactly what it is we're winning them to. Um, this morning, we uh, have an exciting presentation. This will be part one. If you come to the next breakout session, we're going to unpack part two. Um, and leading the conversation is one of our leaders in the network, Paul Hugebart. Paul is a lead minister of Grace Chapel in, in the Atlanta area, and he has been a part of Renew Network really since the beginning, about five years ago. We uh, ran into Paul, and he, uh, he joined us in the network. Uh, Paul has been spearheading a special initiative uh, for Renew.org where we're uh, getting together international disciple-making movement leaders uh, with established church leaders uh, here in North America, and we're trying to take learnings uh, from the disciple-making movements uh, and uh, by many metrics, those that measure uh, where disciple-making movements are happening and how they're growing, we can't find any in North America, and so we're trying to figure out what are some of the principles, what are some of the key elements of these DMM, disciple-making movements, and how can we bring those and translate them into our context here in North America. So Paul's going to help unpack that. To help us do that, we have Shadonke Johnson. Many of you know him. He'll be a speaker today as well. Uh, Shadonke has also uh, been a part of Renew Network since our beginning, uh, Shadonke uh, leads disciple-making movements uh, in Sierra Leone. And uh, what, uh, what is really uh, incredible uh, is, and this is actually, this data in my head is actually at least four years old, uh, but as of four years ago, uh, his movement, he fell in love with the Muslims in the northern part of his country. He started uh, preaching, winning disciples, and making uh, church planters, and uh, has converted more Muslims in that area uh, through the movements that he's a part of, in fifth, in the so it's been 19 years now. Uh, then the past 15 centuries combined times 10, and I'm not making that up. Um, so it's incredible. But what's even more incredible is not just numbers, although numbers are cool. Is he's not just baptizing Muslims; he's turning them into church planners and disciple makers. And so uh, Shadonke Johnson is going to talk with Paul and tell us a little bit about what they're exploring and discovering. Please help me welcome Paul Hugobart and Shadonke Johnson. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here and, and have this conversation with you all this morning. And it's a very important conversation for the North American church because many of us feel as though something is not quite right with our church experience here in North America. Like we're not quite living out. In fact, maybe quite is quite away from what the truth is. We're not living out the Great Commission. We become very comfortable in our church environments. We become more protectionist about our traditions than we are passionate about lost people. And so we need to move beyond that. And so some of us have been asking this question for a while now as we've been engaging with Shadonke. And so you can't be, help but be at this place where when you hear Shadonke share some of the things that are happening in Sierra Leone and other places in the world where you start to have this burden and you start to ask, God, would you do that here? And would you do it now? And sometimes it's hard to believe that God could do that here and that now, but I want you to know that for the last 10 years or so, Shadonke and his intercessory team have been praying that God would do 
hear what is happening overseas and especially in the global south in disciple-making movements. Yeah. And so I'm going to walk you through a few slides this morning real quickly. Uh, you'll see these behind me on the screen. So what we're doing uh, really quickly is we're discussing disciple-making principles for the North American church. I wrote an article for uh, discipleship.org not too long ago that discussed these eight principles um, that uh, right here on the next slide, you'll see there's a QR code. If you want to take a look at that article, you can do that and uh, dig a little bit more into the, each of these principles. We're going to focus primarily on the first two, but I do want to let you know, uh, give you just a very quick overview of what these eight principles are. Here's the one that we're going to focus on most this morning. It's the first principle. It's this. It's there's a radical dependence upon the Holy Spirit as witnessed through in-depth fasting and prayer that empowers the mission. That's the first principle. That's what we'll talk about most this morning, so I won't belabor that one right now. The second is this. Scripture is the curriculum. Scripture is the curriculum. We'll talk about that one in the second session, so again, we won't go too deep into that one right now as well. The third is this. The mission is clear all the time. There's got to be clarity about what the mission is. The reality is that in the North American church, many things that are not Jesus' mission have become the mission of the church, and that's a problem for us. Mm. Sometimes the mission is to protect tradition. Sometimes the mission is just to have a larger building and more people gathering, but that is not the mission. Jesus gave us the mission. It's to go make disciples who make disciples, which is why disciple-making must be the underlying cultural identity of the church. It absolutely has to be. And one of the ways we notice whether that's true or not is when you're in a strategy meeting, what are you talking about? Is it disciple making or is it something else? When you're finding, when you're asking God, how do we spend our finances? Is it on disciple making or is it something else? Then this next thing that we've learned as we've engaged with Shadonke and others as well is that leaders and staff have to focus on coaching disciple makers, not just making disciples. When we began our transition at Grace Chapel, uh, a few years ago, we, we actually realized that, that we had done a really good job of making church members, but not a particularly good job of making disciples of Jesus. And so we focused on discipleship for a time, but then we realized that wasn't enough. We needed to embrace the mission of Jesus and focus on disciple making. And then we realized that that wasn't enough because if we wanted to see movement, we needed to not just make disciples, we needed to make disciple makers. Mm. And so leaders and staff embrace making disciple makers. The next principle is this, is that you'll find that stories of disciple-making abound in movements. You're hearing and sharing stories all the time. You know, that's one of the things that we need to learn to do is, is gather together the people that are experiencing disciple-making so that we can turn around and we can share those stories. Those stories will inspire others so that they can know mm. we can do this too. The next principle is this, and this almost follows, is that when this is true, of course, disciple-making expectations will be high but disciple-making expectations should be high before even we see disciples being made because God is with us in this. And it's his mission. It's what he's calling us to. So I believe God has high expectations. And his words are, the harvest is plenty. So God has high expectations. We should share those high expectations. And then the last one is this, that multiplication prevails at every level. So we're talking about disciples making disciples. We're talking about groups multiplying and making new groups. We're talking about churches planting churches on a regular basis. And one of the things that is different and unique about global DMMs, because we plant churches here in the United States, but often we do that in a very centralized fashion. The leadership responsibility remains very centralized. Sometimes we're a little controlling and closed-handed over the way that happens, but if movement is going to happen, we've got to open our hands and let God do what God does through his people instead of believing that we need to organize and engineer all of it. Let's let God be the architect. Jesus said he, was build, he would build his church. Let's let him build his church. Okay, so we're going to talk about this first one, Shadonke, this morning in this, uh, in this conversation. Mm -hmm. This idea of being radically dependent upon the Holy Spirit, which is witnessed through in-depth fasting and prayer that empowers the mission. Here's the way that, that we're saying this. Here's the way that we're packing this, packaging this and sharing this on the next slide. It's that the people of God are radically dependent upon the presence of God for the work of God. Let me say that one more time, and I know it's on the screen behind me, but it's important for us to catch this. 
the people of God, that's us, we need to be radically dependent upon the presence of God for the work of God. A.W. Tozer said it like this roughly 50, 60 years ago. He said, if the Holy Spirit were removed from the North American church, 90% of what we see happening today would continue to happen and nobody would know the difference. Mm -hmm. If the Holy Spirit were taken away from the early church, 90% of what was happening would immediately stop and everyone would know the difference. Which kind of people do we want to be? So, Shadanke, if you could, for just a little bit, tell us why this is so important, why this first principle matters so much. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. I think it is very clear when we go back to scriptures that um, the church was born in prayer and it was born with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is no way that a single man on the day of Pentecost who just speak and 3,000 souls were added to the church. I mean, we know Peter was anointed, but his anointing was not Mm -hmm. at that level. But with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that happened. But the issue here is that, and since that time, every great revival and move of God has come out of prayer, abundant prayer, with a powerful leading of the Holy Spirit. So it is very important for the church and for leaders to understand that this is God's business. And if it is God's business, we have to do it God's own way. You know, if you, if you become a member or you want to be part of a corporation, an organization, or a big business, and you are, they employ you, you have to do it their own way. There are rules that are laid down. There are manuals that they have. You have to go by those rules and manuals. This is God's business, and the manual is the Bible. He has given us the Bible. And we have to make sure that this is the manual that we feed on. And part of what we feed on in the manual is what the Bible has called us to. We have to radically depend mm-hmm. upon the presence of God for the work of God. Mm-hmm. We can't depend on our knowledge. We can't depend on what we have studied and what we know. If we depend on it, the result will be our own knowledge, our own strength, and it will not stand the test of times. Yes. If what we do is going to stand the test of times, then we have to do it in God's way. And part of it is to depend, radically depend on the Holy Spirit and the move of God. It's very important. When we do that, then we realize that whatever God is using us to build, we stand the test of time. Because it's very clear the storm will come. Mm-hmm. And the storm will test every work. And the Bible says every work that remains, you know, it means that work was built on its foundation. Mm-hmm. And the works that do not remain means you're not built on its foundation. Yes. So if the work is going to remain long after we are gone, then let's build it on his foundation, on his time. And that means depending, radically depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. It is very important, Paul. Yeah, and I think if we can be honest about uh, the North American church, we have, we have placed our dependence or we have been reliant upon many things that were not the presence of God. It's been strategies. It's been the best thinkers among us. It's been the most gifted communicators. I mean, think about the churches we have built and think about what that declares we're depending upon. I want you to think about, I think it's what Solomon said in the Psalms. He says, unless... The Lord builds the house. Yeah. The workers labor in vain. vain. I think one of the things that is very interesting that we have a kind of lifestyle that we have taken is that, especially in the West, we come and we have some coffee and tea and we plan and we do our strategies. When we finish, we take the strategies to God. Mm -hmm. We say, let us come and pray. But it should not be that way. We should Amen. pray and let the prayer inform the strategy, not the strategy informing the prayer. Yes. So many times, you know, we gather because we depend on our knowledge. We are smart. We have all the degrees and the papers. You know, I normally say we have the PhDs, you know, and I call it the permanent head damages. You know, we have the PhD <laughs> and then we sit down and plan. And then now we say, God, we bring this plan to you. We want you to honor this plan. No, God is God. He knows what is best for his church. I want you to know you are not in charge of 
of that church. Just in case you don't know, you are not in charge. He is in charge. And if he is in charge, then do it the way he wants you to do it. Depend on him, depend on his power, and then he will, he would, he will walk with you. I remember the story in the book of Joshua. When Joshua, his, Moses died and he was taking the children of Israel. Joshua thought he was in charge. He thought he was a five-star general. He thought he was in charge until he saw a man dressed in a military fatigue. Mm. And then Joshua was very bold. He went to the man and said, are you for us or are you for the enemy? And I love the way God dealt with Joshua. He said, Joshua, look, I want you to understand. I'm not for you, neither for the enemy. I have come as the commander of this warfare. So if you think you're a five-star general, I just want you to know I am in charge, Joshua. And immediately, the Bible said Joshua fell down on his face, which is a sign of worship and humility. And he took the instructions from God. And God gave him the plan how they were going to take over. And Joshua went by that plan, Mm -hmm. and Joshua saw the victory. You know, there are times we think we are in charge. We are not in charge. Just in case you did not know this, let me announce it to you now. You are not in charge. He is in charge. So depend on him, depend on his power, and depend on his spirit. And he will lead you. He will guide you. The Bible said the step of a righteous man, an obeying person, is ordered by the Lord. Mm-hmm. If at the word they use as order, that means, you know, it's, order is only used in forces in the military. He will order you to do it and you have to do it if you depend on him. So I, I believe greatly as we try to, God has used us to do great things. But God wants us to do greater things. You know the book, Good to Great? They said the enemy to greatness is good. It's good. You know, we just think we are good, but God wants us to be great. So he's calling us to that point. And if we are going to do that, we need to depend heavily on the radical move of the Holy Spirit. So, so let me ask you real quickly, how, how is the church in Sierra Leone living this out? Now, for us, every gathering that we gather, every disciple that the Lord has used me to coach and mentor, one of the things that is important is that we introduce them from the very first day, we let them understand that it's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. That their knowledge, their power, their strength, their gifting has nothing to do with the work. And so we do a discipleship process depending on the Holy Spirit from the very first day. We don't wait until the person is full grown. We begin it on the very first day. We know that you, you can only pray in the Spirit if God is leading you. Or else you, I mean, we are human beings, you get tired. So we, one, we disciple people and we encourage them to disciple others. And not only that, we keep the vision of God and depending on God before the people constantly. Constantly, we want them to know. We keep that vision before them. We remind them over and again, this is not about us, it's about him. And so you have to use this manual. So we do that. In all our coachings, in all our mentorship, we let them understand that because it is important. The more you keep it as a vision before the people, the more they understand it and the more they begin to work. And also we model it for them. It's not only coaching, we model it as leaders that they know that we depend on the Holy Spirit. We model that to them. We model it in prayer. We model it in fasting. We model it in the way we walk and the way we do things, that we depend on the Holy Spirit. And then we mentor them to do the same. By so doing, God has given us the strength to raise disciples and leaders who depend on the Holy Spirit, radically depend on the Holy Spirit and the move of God. So, so what does the, the prayer rhythm in, in your church look like? Yeah, the, the prayer reading, we have what we call a prayer path. The prayer reading looks like this. I mean, one, every Wednesday in a week, every Wednesday, everyone in the movement, we fast. Like yesterday, I was fasting. Even though I'm here in the States, but I was fasting. Every Wednesday, everybody in the movement fast. Well, as I say, you can start with a baby step, but we fast, we start by 12 midnight, And we fast all throughout the day by 7 or 8 p.m. We fast without food and water. But you can do it the way that is best. But no food, no water. Like yesterday I was fasting, no food, no water. Till 7 or 8. Then we break and then if we are going to continue, we break and then we continue again for the next day. So every Wednesday we fast. Then also the last three days of the year, 
before we end the year, the last three days of every year, we have what we call Esther fasting. That means we fast without food and water for three days. You know, people think this. No, it's, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. Mm. We, have, we do that. Everybody fasts without food and water the last three days. The reason is we thank the Lord for taking us through the year. Mm. And then we ask the Lord, what do you want us to do as we step into the new year? So we bring our hearts to God. And in that moment, the Lord begins to impress in our hearts. And then we write those things down that we, the Lord wants us to do. Also, every, we have what we call Daniel prayer. Daniel prayer is the first day of every month. And the first day, by 6.30 to 7.30, all throughout the movement, people will gather to pray. They will gather, all they do is just to pray. We also have what we call an open heaven prayer. That is midnight of the last day in the month. Every month, the midnight and the last day of the, at night, we have what we call open heaven. In the morning, we have what we call Daniel prayer. We pray and commit as Daniel prayed, commit that month to the Lord. We have whole night prayers. A whole night prayer is a prayer that will start by 12 midnight and will end by 6 in the morning. We are praying. And then we have half night prayers. Half night prayers start by 8 and we end normally by 11 or 12 midnight. That is half night prayer. Then we have prayer centers where people go and pray. We have chain prayers. People will go to pray from 6 to 6.30, 9 to 9.30, 12 to 12.30, 3 to 3.30, 6 to 6.30, 9 p.m. to 9.30, 12 to 12.30. These are different groups of people coming at the time that they have, they, it's okay with them to pray. All they do is to pray. And we have the things to pray about that the focus to pray about. And we have other individuals that will pray and fast. We have what we call prayer mobilizations in communities. We'll go to communities and we just mobilize the community to pray for the community. Mm -hmm. All we do is to pray. So the issue here is that we refer to it as abundance prayer. We pray so that every layer, every person is involved in the process. Everyone can pray if you are willing and obedient to God, God will help yes. you, give you the strength, if you depend on the Holy Spirit, to pray. So these are some of the things we do. We call it our prayer path. So we, we pray and we coach people to pray. In our discipleship, prayer is one of the things we begin to disciple people from the very first day to pray. You know, we get a lot of people from the other backgrounds that come, some of them have never been exposed to the gospel. And they are coming to Jesus for the very first time. And so we coach them, we disciple them how to pray. And so they begin to pray. So these are some of our prayer reading. For some of us individually as leaders, most of us will wake up maybe by 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And that's how our day starts. And our day starts with worshiping God and praising God and praying and reading the word of God. Because the issue I normally say is that many times, a lot of us today in the modern world, the moment we get up, we tune the bad news. The bad news is simply what we hear on our television or our newspapers. That's the bad news. But I want to encourage you from today, tune the good news first. And the good Amen. news is the word of God. Go first to the good news. Get the good news. Have time with the master. Because every other news you are going to hear for the day, is, it might be a bad news. But if you have the good news in you, no matter what the bad news says, the good news in you will counter what the bad news says. Amen. So if they say the weather is going to be bad, God has said, I am in charge, I will take care of you. You say, I know the weather will be bad, but my God sees it on the throne. If the economy is going bad, yes, I know the economy will go bad, but yes, I know I have my father. He's the best economist in the world, and he sits on the throne, he will see all true. So start with the good news before you go to the bad news. But when you start with the bad news, you become depressed. Before the day, you are so depressed, you are so discouraged to face the day. Mm. So that's what we do. So people, young, old, small, children, are all disciples to pray. I will tell you, if some of the children pray, you, I mean, you, you will not believe that these are children praying. Why? They are disciples to do it. Mm. Yeah, what's amazing, Shadake, you shared um, in a conversation we were having that, that there are now more than 10,000 intercessors that are praying as well in, in the movement. Yeah. Could you... Give us just a little bit of an idea of what those intercessory prayers are doing. Now, if we look at some of the prayer points, the issue here is that people, for us, every disciple 
should be discipled to be an intercessor. Disciple, every disciple should be an intercessor. Now, there are simple ways to do that, but we'll come to that. But there are things that we pray for. Maybe we have time, we'll look yeah. at some of those things that we yeah, have Yeah, real to- quickly, um, want to show you this next slide uh, so that if you want to, Shadonke wrote an article for Renew uh, just in the last several days it's been published. Incredibly helpful, incredibly practical. And so what we'll do is we'll pull these pieces apart and let him speak maybe about two minutes or so to each one of these points. Probably in this section, we won't have time for questions at the end, but the next one, we, we likely will. So if you've got some questions, come back for that second one, we will. So here are the key, 12 key prayer points. Again, there's a QR code. Is everybody good if we move on? Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. All right, so the first one is, so, is here then. Yeah, some of the things we pray for, we pray that God will send out laborers into the field. For the increase of disciple makers and intercessors. You see, he, he said to his, his disciples, the harvest is ripe, yes. but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. Don't go out looking for the laborers. That's our problem. We go out looking for the laborers, they send their resume, and we look at their resume, we look for those that are well qualified. Let me tell you, in God's business, the man you think is qualified for God might not be qualified. Mm-hmm. And the one you think is not qualified for God, that is the one that is qualified. Let him send the laborers. Your job is to pray to the Lord of the harvest. So they will send forth laborers. So that is one of the things we have to look at that is very important. But you know, number two, the other thing we, we pray about is that it is important as we pray, we pray that God touches the heart of people and draw them to himself. We pray for that. God touch their heart. Because if God is not touching them, they are not coming. If he's not drawing, then you're not coming. He said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Our job is to lift him up and he will touch the heart of people. I have seen the most unlikely people, people we never expected that persecuted the church so much. I have seen those people turn around and accept Jesus as their Lord and personal savior. And not only that, they become disciples and disciple makers and are planting churches. People who radically hated the church. Why? It's not about us, it's about him. So you pray that he would do that. It's also very important. We, only, we also pray, every day we pray for the move of God. God, we want you to move. The power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, we move. We pray for the move of God. We also pray that the Lord will protect the workers in the field. That the Lord will protect them. Because every day when they step out, they are stepping into danger. Some of them might lose their lives. So we pray that the Lord will protect them. We also pray that the Lord will provide for the work. Over and again, we see how um, Paul and others were asking that the Lord will provide for the work. So we pray he's a God of provision. He will make a way where there's no way. We pray for open doors, that he will open the door for the work to happen. You see, if God closes the door, nobody opens. But when he opens the door, nobody closes. So we pray that you open the door. Paul asks for that over and again, that God will open the door. So these are things that we pray about constantly. We pray, we have all the 12 things that we strategically, we pray for the leaders. We pray for the disciples. We also pray for movements. Other movements, other people that are involved in the business of making disciples that make disciples. We pray for them, that the Lord will cover them, that the Lord will keep them, that the Lord will create movements all around the world. Because it's not about us, it's about him, it's about the kingdom. If you're a disciple maker, one of the things that is important, you need to have a kingdom mindset. 
It's not only about you. It's not about your denomination. It's about the kingdom of God. For he said the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist cried out the kingdom of God is at hand. It's about the kingdom of God. So these are prayers that we pray. We also pray for miracles, signs and wonders that God will perform miracles. Brothers and sisters, we see God performing miracles in the lives of people every day. Because the greatest miracle is really when the lost get saved. Mm. That's the greatest miracle. When people you are not expecting, people that persecute you. I remember there was a guy who hated me. He belonged to our cousins. Because I'm a rich platform, you know, our cousins, you should understand. They belong to our cousin and he was radical. This guy hated me. He wrote me a letter. He said in his letter, the only thing that would make him happy was to see me dead. I mean, he was very true about it. But not only that, he came and he met me face to face. He said, the only thing that would make him happy was to see me dead. And I said, okay, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> and we were praying for him. Because the Bible says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's part of the thing we do. And one day they sent me a picture of Ben Laden. Ben Laden on the face. And they said, you are next. So I prayed about it. I said, God, what do you want me to do with this? And then I took the picture of Ben Laden off and I put a picture of Jesus. And I sent it back to the same place that you are next. You are mm. next in line to be saved. Amen. And by God's divine intervention, this man that persecuted us, he came to know Jesus as his Lord and personal Savior. I discipled him and he became my personal assistant. Not only that, my program officer. Today, he's a member of parliament in my country. Let me tell you, it is very important that as we pray, we also pray. If we do not depend on God, mm -hmm. these things will not happen. Mm -hmm. But when you depend on God, he will go ahead of you and he will perform the miracles. They bring people that are sick and the Lord is healing them. We go to communities. There are times in communities that, that are resisting us. It is only prayer that opens the door. A miracle happens to somebody. And now the person says, look, you can take any land you want. You can take any territory. We are ready. Because it is the hand of God. So the open doors actually often come through this next one, this idea that we would find persons of peace. Would you first explain, because we may not be familiar with the idea of what a person of peace is, and then tell us why you pray for that. One of the reasons why we pray for the person of peace is that the person of peace is somebody that God has prepared ahead of you. Even before you go to that community or to that family, God, if you have been praying, mm -hmm. God will go ahead of you and touch the hearts of the people, touch the hearts of the families, or touch the hearts of people working in that particular organization. So we pray, say, God, please help us to find the person of peace. And so the person of peace is somebody that God has prepared ahead of you. The person of peace also is somebody who becomes a bridge. He becomes a bridge. He or she becomes a bridge for you to enter into that home or that community. The person of peace is somebody who's ready to receive your message and introduce you to the community or to mm -hmm. people in the community. He's ready, he or she is ready to open the door for you, for that particular community or family. That person is a person of peace. So we pray for the person of peace. We have examples of the person of peace. Lydia was a person of peace. If you go back, you read, you know, you see that it was, Lydia made it possible for the church in Philippi to start. She opened the door. We also realize that the other, Zacchaeus was a person of peace. Because through Zacchaeus, you realize that Jesus entered into his house and that brought transformation. And many people came to believe in Jesus. Nicodemus became a person of peace, even though he went to Jesus at night. The centurion became a person of peace. And so they are persons of peace. So we pray. And they can be different type of people in a community. But God will touch them. So we pray, God, this is your job. Go ahead and touch the persons of peace. And let me tell you, because I'm on this podium, there are things I will not say. But I have seen so many people, fundamentalists, radicals, become persons of peace, open their doors. Mm. And through that, the word of God, the discovery process is started. Today, you go to many of our communities, you'll find somebody who introduced himself. I was a person of peace. 
God used me to open the door for this community. They can be ordinary people. They can be professionals. They can be people of influence. They can be wealthy. They can be poor. But God has his own way of doing it when you pray for it. Yeah, I'll just share a story here uh, stateside. Um, on Monday, Shadanke and I were together with the group that, that I've been leading, spearheading through Renew, of roughly 25 North American churches saying yes to these disciple-making principles. And so uh, sitting at a table with one of our mutual friends, and he shares uh, about this uh, they'd been praying, God, open a door in our community. God, we need to find some persons of peace. And so several of them felt as though God was impressing upon them that this apartment complex not too far from the church would be an opportunity. So they decided just to walk over there and have a conversation with the apartment manager. Now, when they first walked in and began this conversation, he said she was very skeptical, almost, um, almost was keeping them very much at mm-hmm, arm's length. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they began to talk and as they began to share what they wanted to do, where the, the conversation ended was this. She said, anything you all want to do here, I will 100% back it. So the apartment complex manager is saying, anything you want to do here, anytime you want to come here and love on our people, anytime you want to come here and pray or walk this apartment complex, anything you want to do here, I will 100% support that. Now, that, that is a person of peace opening up the door. Now, I don't know if she's even receptive yet. Sometimes the persons of peace are not the receptive yeah. ones, but they are a conduit. Yeah, exactly. And there are times they open the door. You know, we have had some very interesting, let me just share a short story. One of the most radical things that has ever happened to me in my life, you know, I've been arrested five times, come close to death. But one of the things that was so interesting during the war in my country, you know, I mean, the people are killing, they're killing every kind of person. Some of them are killing the name of God. So I, I went out and I was telling them, this is wrong. The God I know is a loving God, is a kind God. And they did not like my message. My message was not popular with them. And so they started looking for me, so I was hiding from place to place. Finally, one day, I was arrested. And they tied my hands in such a way that my fingers could touch the back of my neck. I was in pain, my chest was protruded like that. And this guy who was a commander, he was so furious with me. You know, and he had these boys who had AK-47. They were just waiting for command to shoot. And this guy had a pistol in his hands. And he was saying to me, I'm going to kill you. When I kill you, go and tell your God that I, commander, killed you. There's nothing you can do with me. Your God cannot save you right now. He was so furious, speaking the local language. And then at that moment, I just bowed down my head. I said, God, if this is my last day on this planet, I'm okay. I'm ready to come and meet you. But God, please do me a favor. Give me boldness and courage so that I can talk to this commander. So that when I die, let me die with one more person for you. One more soul. And let it be this commander. Then I lifted my head. I said, commander, please. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to give me five minutes to talk to you. He said, go ahead and talk. You're already a dead man, but go ahead and talk. I said, commander, I want you to accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. I was very direct because I did not have, I did not know I had much time. So I could not go through all the other strategies. It was very direct. <laughs> I want you to accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. I said, because Commander, right now, if he shoots me, I'm going to heaven. But if you die, you don't have, you can't go, make, go to heaven because you don't know Jesus. I said, but well, right now, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, and then you turn around and shoot me, I said, the Jesus I know will forgive you. Both of us will be in heaven. I said, Commander, Jesus loves you. He cares for you. His hands are widely open waiting to receive you. While I was talking, the pistol dropped like this. When I finished talking, he told his boys, he said, untie this man, untie him, let him go. Something is wrong with his head, something is wrong with him. He's not a normal man. And so that's how they untied me and I left. But a few weeks down the road, commander came looking for me. And when he saw me, we went and we stood under the mango tree. And commander said to me, Do you know that the way you spoke to me that day, nobody has ever spoken to me that way. He said, and I go to bed, I don't sleep. I've been thinking of what you are telling me. Can we be friends? I said, sure. So that's how we became friends. And a few months down the road, through the relationship, a baptized commander and two of his guys were baptized. And through him, a lot of people came to know Jesus. The reason here is that he became the man of peace. But first somebody who was against the gospel and then he became the man of peace. Mm. I want you to know there are unlikely people in your neighborhood 
who are resisting the gospel, don't want to hear about Christ, but it takes you praying for them. It takes you praying for them and allow God to do the work for you. You'll be surprised what God can do when we depend on him. Amen. So I'd say before that, this uh, fifth principle actually sometimes precedes the finding of the person of peace, right? It is very, yes. You pray that every stronghold and lie of the enemy is broken. You know, I know a lot of us have different persuasion and theological understanding, but there are strongholds all over the place. Strongholds in the heart of people. The enemy has held a lot of people bound. And so therefore you need to pray that God will break, like for example, commander, there was a stronghold. I mean, this man was a notorious killer during the war. When people hear his name, they run for their lives. So there was a stronghold over him. But through prayer, God was able to break that stronghold. There are communities where you will go, people will reject you. We don't want the gospel. We don't want anything to do with the gospel. Leave this place. Those strongholds held them bound. But with prayer, after some time, we come back and they open up. So you have to pray. And pray also is very important. You pray for those strongholds and the lies. Because the enemy lied to so many people. Mm-hmm. He's a liar. And he's the father of all liars. So there are so many lies that the enemy has put in the heart of people that we need to break. So through prayer, you can break those strongholds. It is very important mm-hmm. to do that. And that's what we do. We encourage and we teach our disciples to pray. There are times they do prayer work in communities. Nobody knows they're praying. They just come around the community, walk and pray. God will break every stronghold that is in this community. Every lie that the enemy has lied to people in this area, God will pray that you will break it. So those lies will break. If there are families, we'll pray for the families. God break the stronghold in that family. Every lie that they are believing, God will pray that you will break that one. So you, we pray also for that, that the Lord will break strongholds. And we have seen the Lord do it in many, many communities, many nations. Yeah, I want you to think real quickly about why this is so necessary in our, in our day and age. <clears throat> we live in a time uh, where, where the postmodern uh, movement, the postmodern thought, has, has got most people where they believe that they can define their own meaning or make their own meaning, define their own truth, and that nothing matters more in life than happiness. I mean, we're surrounded by people in our Western culture who believe that wholeheartedly. And those things are lies of the enemy. We need to start praying that God would unravel those lies mm-hmm. in their hearts, that God would break down those lies of the enemy and make them receptive again to the gospel. As long as people believe that they make their, make their own meaning, define their own truth, and that nothing matters more in life than happiness, it's going to be very difficult for those people to accept the gospel. And so God has to do a powerful work in our generation and within this culture to undo those lies uh, within, within our midst. And so we need to be praying against those strongholds. We need to also recognize that, uh, again, th- those are what Paul would call hollow and deceptive philosophies. Yep. But behind those hollow, hollow and deceptive philosophies, there are, yes, natural tendencies that are innate to us as human beings. But Paul says it's not just the natural tendencies. It's also the elemental spiritual forces of mm-hmm. this world that are behind those hollow and deceptive philosophies. Yep. They're hollow. They're deceptive. We need to pray that the truth of God would break down those deceptions. Okay, this next one, we need this as well. We need God to grant us boldness in sharing the gospel. That's very important. You need to pray. Some people are just too shy. It's it's part of their nature or it's part of the culture. Some cultures are built in such a way that people really are shy. They just don't go out. They They have not been taught to share their faith even. So we pray that God will grant us, you know, this boldness in sharing the gospel. Paul asked for those prayer requests over and again when he wrote that God will give us boldness. I mean, imagine, this is Paul. The man is already bold, but he's still asking for boldness to go out and share the gospel. You know, if we are timid, we will not share this gospel. If we are afraid, we will not share it. And you know, the Bible makes it very clear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of love, of power, of sound mind. So it is important that we pray for boldness. That God will make your disciples or disciples make us very bold. Some people love Jesus. They love the word of God. But they are just too shy to even share with anyone. So we pray for that. So that becomes a prayer point. So that people will be bold. So we have seen people who are so shy. We have seen them become so bold. 
And it's just a power when you depend on the Holy Spirit. It begins to walk in the lives of people. So many people in the church today, they love the Lord. They are very serious with their, with their work with God. They are very serious. They are very honest believers. They love the Lord. They love people. But honestly, they are, they are so timid. They are afraid to even share their faith. So we need a spirit of boldness. We need it in the church. You know, a lot of people say, Shudanke, you are so bold in your faith. But I was not bold like this. I was very shy. I used to hide when they tell me to speak. I will tell you the first time my, my senior pastor gave me the church to preach. He, you know, he, he, gave, he told me three months ahead of time. You are going to preach on Sunday. I was happy. I was rehearsing. I was, you know, praising God. And when the day came, my senior pastor came to me and said, are you ready today? I said, I'm ready. <laughs> but when I stood there and I looked at the face of the people, I forgot everything. <laughs> everything. That is the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my life. It, I think it lasted about seven minutes. The sermon was done. And, and, I, and I came down. My, my senior pastor said, are you finished? I said, yes. Jesus did not preach long sermons. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. I was shaking. I was shaking. I stood there, I was shaking, and it was all the Holy Spirit. I was shaking so seriously. But that was the beginning of my boldness. So we have to pray for our disciples. Disciple makers. God, we pray for the spirit of boldness to overtake mm -hmm. them, to overcome them, so that wherever they are, in a loving way, not in an arrogant way, in a loving way, in a broken way, they can share their faith. Yes. Oh, and along with that, we're praying for fresh anointing yes. uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit on disciple makers. What you said the other day when we were talking, and I love this, is that yesterday's anointing is not enough for today. Yeah, yesterday's anointing is not, it's not enough for today's challenges. So every morning when you wake up, you ask God, God, I need your fresh touch. Your fresh anointing. Every morning. I pray that prayer every morning. I pray that prayer every morning. God, I need it. Because I don't know what I'm going to face today. But with your fresh anointing, you will give me strength to face it. Mm -hmm. Many people think that, oh, I'm anointed. One month ago, I have the anointing. And so I can still go out and fight the enemy. No, you cannot. So you need to ask the Lord. That is why I love Jesus. I mean, I, I just love Jesus because this man, he is the son of God. But every morning, the Bible says he will go out and pray. Every morning, it was his daily life, his daily routine. He will go first and pray while his disciples maybe are sleeping. He will go out and pray because he needed the fresh anointing from his father to face the day. We need it. We need to let our disciples also understand that, that they need it. No matter how smart you are, no matter how intelligent and strong you are, no matter what bodybuilding you are doing, this is a spiritual warfare. You need a fresh anointing of God. We will need it in the church for everyone. We need it for our disciples. It is very important. Amen. Number eight, you touched on already just a little bit, but, uh, but I, I'd like you to talk about it just a little bit more because this is probably something that some of us in the North American church would struggle with, this idea of seeing signs, wonders, and miracles. Yeah, I, I, I struggle with it. Let me tell you, I was a, a skeptic. Mm. I was, I mean, if you tell me it's darkness, I need to come and see the darkness. That was me. I never believed in this. But something happened in my life that radically changed me. God shook my foundation. And he got my attention. So I started to read in the word of God. For me, everything I've done is to read in the word. Mm. I read over and again. And then I started to pray for it. God, I just want you to use me. But God, when I speak your word, when I pray for people, when I pray for communities, you move and you take the glory. And I started seeing God do it. And so I raised my disciple. Every disciple that, has, that I have raised or leaders, disciple makers have raised, God is using them in their own way to do this. I will tell you documented, we have documents of people that have been sick, people that doctors have given up that we have prayed for them and God has moved. People in this nation that send prayer requests, that we fast 
and pray. And we have seen God move. Communities that we have gone to, and those communities, we have seen how God has moved in those communities by signs and wonders, performing miracles. And so people even who resisted the gospel, they have no alternative because they see it before them. So we, if we pray for that, because this is just something you pray for. It's not, it's something you believe God for. Just like you believe God every morning, God, I believe you for, for a job. And you pray and then you get a job. It's the same with this. You just ask God, God, please help me. And one thing about faith is that you practice what you are asking God for. You begin to practice. I will tell you, the first, when I started walking this path, I still remember the first young baby I prayed for was very sick. And the doctors have, and I said, okay, let me pray. When I prayed, in less than 10 minutes, the baby died. In less than 10 minutes. And you know, in Africa, the way the people will cry in Africa, it's not like you. There are people who cry, and when they cry, they explain everything. And the woman was crying, my child was sick. My child went to the hospital. And then the, I came here, and pastor prayed, and my child died. Now, that is a bad way to cry. That means you are saying, I killed your child. But I went back to God, and God said, Shudanke, you did that in your own pride. It was not about me. Then I learned another lesson. We don't do this because we want to make name. We do it because we want his name to be glorified. Amen. And today I will tell you, by the grace of God, how many deliverances that we have done, intellectuals, people in high offices, in government offices, poor people, people from communities, and we have trained our disciples to do the same. That when they encounter these things in communities, they are not going to run. They are not going to take the phone to call me. I, I encounter this. What should I do? No, they know what to do because mm-hmm. they have been discipled. The name of Jesus is not an ordinary name. It's a name that is full of power and of praise. We can use that name for the Bible says, at that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. It was in the name, in his name, that he cast out demons. He's still doing it today. But all depends, do you believe? Mm-hmm. It is a faith business. But when we begin to pray for that, you will begin to see it. Those baby steps will begin to come. And your faith will begin to increase. Because you hear testimonies from people. The way God is moving. Okay, so we pray for nine, that. We pray for protection for the workers in the field. Yes, it is important every day to pray for protection. I don't know, maybe here in America, even know, things are changing because, you know, I listen to the news a lot. You know, you just hear somebody has a gun and go into the mall and just shoot people. People are going to churches shooting people. Now, maybe when I speak that, Americans will understand. But 10 years ago, a lot of people didn't understand. Even when I came, I was talking to them before the September 11. A lot of people did not understand. And when the September 11 happened, a lot of people are calling me. Shudanki, is this what you meant? I said, well, I don't know, but it is just a wake-up call. Brothers and sisters, every day we pray for God's protection, that God will protect us, protect our families, protect the disciples, protect the disciple makers, protect our partners. Every day I kneel down before God because I don't know where I will step in. I don't know where I will go. We pray for protection. You know, back home in Africa, other parts of the world, people will even poison you for the sake of this gospel. They will chain you. They will poison you. I was poisoned by my own relative. Poison. God miraculously saved me. So you, every day we have to believe God to protect us. This life is not our own. That's why I love, you know, when you read Psalm 91, you know, I love it so much when we are praying. It's a we that dwell in the secret place of the Most High, we shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We will say of the Lord, He is our refuge and our strength, our God in whom we will trust. He said, He will deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He will cover us with His feathers. A thousand may rise up against you, even 10,000, but they will never come near your dwelling. Why? Because God is your refuge and your strength. So brothers and sisters, this is not an old prayer. 
Even Jesus in the Lost Prayer. God, he said, keep them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. So we need to pray for God's protection. In the movement, I pray for all my disciples, disciple makers, all our partners, locally and internationally. We pray that God will protect them. I said, God, I don't know what they're doing today, but wherever they are, protect them. Protect their families. Protect their ministries. Protect them from themselves because we can be problems to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we pray for God's protection. Yeah, and I'll just say too, if you get to that place where you start making disciples, the next move to pray for the protection of those, of those disciples is almost natural. Very much. Is my disciples, as those that I'm discipling are out in the world trying to connect with others or out in our community trying to connect with others. I pray for their success, for their protection. I want God to be completely in mm-hmm. what happens next. So that just becomes natural. Okay, next thing, we pray for workers, for uh, resources for the work to be done. Yes. You know, Jesus himself prayed for protection in John chapter 17. He prayed yes. that his disciples would be protected in the world. We, mm-hmm. we know that. And then we also pray one of the things that we, for resources for the work to be done. The cattle on the 10,000 hills belongs to God. The gold and the diamond mm-hmm. belongs to God. When Peter, they are supposed to pay tax, and Peter wanted to evade the tax. So he asked Jesus, is it right for us to pay tax? But Jesus said, go and fish. The first fish, you will find a coin. Come and pay the tax. Now, Jesus is a provider of the resources we need for the work. He knows we need these resources for the work to be done. And so we pray. We want to live a faithful life. And we want to ask him, the God that owns the cattle on the, cattle on the 10,000 hills, the gold and the silver belongs to him. We'll pray to him to open doors. Provision for us. Well, as I said, this culture might be different. In our own culture, you see people, a lot of people get saved, communities, villages, but they are very poor. They come from very poor background. But for us, it's not about the money, it's about their souls. So for the work to be done, we are doing training, we are coaching people, we are traveling. We're helping, empowering other people because most of those communities, we empower them so that they will know the love of God. It takes resources for that to happen. And so we ask God. We don't do the budget outside of God. We pray, and then we do the budget with God. And we say, God, this is the budget. We know that you own everything, and you will touch hearts, and you will give us wisdom how to raise this money. We believe in him for the resources. We don't believe in our strategy for the resources. We don't believe in our connections for the resources. The arm of flesh will fail you. So do not trust the arm of flesh. It will fail you. But trust the Lord. Mm -hmm. He will always show up. And I have seen God show up at the edge of him. He just show up. He steps in. And the miracles happen. We have seen. There are times I just laugh. I say, God, you are indeed God. He will always show up. Because he is God. So pray for the provision. So we encourage churches, we know even if you have everybody that will give the money, see, pray to him for the provision for the work. Amen. And number 11, this, uh, that there will be multiplication in the hearts of people that leads to movements. And so I want to say real quickly, what I've noticed as I've been around those who are involved in disciple-making movements is, is this passion and this desire that is often lacking within the North American church to see an entire people group reached within a generation. And what I've seen and what the question that's been posed to me over and over again, I've got a friend, Josh Howard in India that you may mm-hmm. know as well. And Josh said to me um, a while back, a number of months ago, he said, he said, Paul, what would it take to reach the entire North American continent within your generation? And I said, honestly, I don't know. He said, I can tell you one thing, it wouldn't be addition. So if it's not addition, what would it be? Well, it would be multiplication. multiplication. That's the only way it would happen. So, Shadaki, if you want to speak to yeah. this one real quickly, and then we got one more principle yeah. to, to get to. I think multiplication is crucial. You know, multiplication and replication. Multiplication has to do with the number. Replication has to do with the process. The number and the process has to go hand in hand. Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, Thai, Etna, every tribe. Mm-hmm. Baptize them, but teach them also to obey everything. 
Now, so it is very clear. And when Paul was writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 2, what do you have had from me, Timothy? In the presence of faithful witness, I want you to look for faithful men and pass it on to them who will also pass it on to others. Now, many times people look at it and they just think, you know, it's a fourth generation. It's me. No, he said, they are faithful witness. Those faithful witness also need to pass it on. Mm-hmm. Timothy needs to pass it on to other faithful men and each of those faithful men needs to go and pass it on to their own faithful men. And those other faithful men and women, needs, each one of them needs to pass it on to other faithful people. So as you do this, multiplication happens. And generationally, mm-hmm. we should make sure that this gospel is not one generation, but many generations. Mm-hmm. Many generations. And so the heart for multiplication and movement should be in the center of our prayer. God will pray that you will multiply. You will multiply. I will tell you, if I can stand on this stage with my disciples, you'll be shocked how many generations God has raised out of me. It's unbelievable. If I tell you, you will not believe until you see it, until they share with you. Because I'm very intentional. I don't apologize for that. It's very intentional. Multiplication of disciples and movements is intentional. Jesus was very intentional about that. He never apologized to anyone. So I think that is why we have seen in, you see, tribes. There are some tribes that we, that we went to engage 10 years, 15 years ago. Some of them had zero Jesus option. We call it Jesus option. Zero Jesus option. Zero. Today, I will tell you that among those tribes, maybe 50%, 60% of them are to the followers of Jesus because we engaged them. We stayed with them, and the principle of multiplication happened. And that should be the heartbeat. With God, it is possible. We have seen it so much. Mm-hmm. Urban areas, it will happen. In villages, it will happen. Among tribes, it will happen. For our continents, our regions, it will happen. Okay, we've got one more. And uh, for the sake of time, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just close this out with actually a prayer where we pray for, uh, for other movements. Here, here's what I want to say about this. If you care about movement you will care about all movement. Yes. You will care about movements in Africa, in India, in Asia, in Iran, and in many places of this world. You'll care about all movements as all movements care about seeing movement here in the North American content. So let's close by praying for other movements and disciple makers yes. all around the world. Father, we just thank you so yes, much you. that God, yes, you are on the move and that you bring people like Shadanke to us to yes, help bolster our faith. Mm in the fact that, God, you are not done working. And so, God, we pray for movements all around the world right now. God, we pray for their protection. We pray for their provision. God, we pray that you will break down the strongholds of the enemy. Yes, here in North America and everywhere there are strongholds where, Father, the devil has been given a foothold. Will you remove that foothold from him? Father, will you instead give us the footholds? Will you give us open doors that no one can close? God, will you give us boldness that no one can take from us? God, will you show us that you have been Lord of the harvest the entire time? Father, will we put our faith in the work you are doing and join you in your mission, God? All of us. So God, we pray for movements around the world today that the gospel would spread in power, Mm. that it would spread again like a wildfire. And that God, we would give you all the glory. As my brother says, God, we promise to never touch your glory. All glory is yours. The kingdom is yours. The power is yours. We thank you, God. We pray this in your name, in Jesus' name, and amen. Again, we hope to have a little more time in the next session to address some questions. Uh, So if you'll join us again then, we'll definitely look forward to, to talking with you again at that point. God bless you. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode, and I also hope that it sparked something inside of your heart and got the wheels turning in your mind, which will trickle all the way down to getting those hands ready to 
work for the Lord in our country and to pray for a disciple-making movement to begin to happen here in our country because we desperately need it. Hey, just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, I would love it if you would click the subscribe button so that you know each time I release episodes throughout the week and also special episodes throughout the year. All right, y'all. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Have a good day. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today.